When we were singing the first song, I was back there and, you know, um, we sang it through a number of times and, and the question was the same, how great is our God? And I know it's both a question and a declaration in the song. But I sat back there and, and then I stopped listening to everybody singing and I was just in my mind trying to, to answer the question, how great is our God? And I think I missed the second song or the second and the third song after that because when you start running through how great God is, when can you stop? When can you stop? Just, it's beautiful. I've got a friend in Canada. His name is Jay. And uh, right after Dina and I got married, they got married, he and his wife, and, um, in Toronto. I flew up to be in the wedding, and, and we were in college together. We're good friends to this day. We, we talk all the time. And when he was, uh, he was in the church in Toronto and felt the Lord's call to go and plant a church. So the church in Toronto uh, took, I think it was 10% of their congregation at the time, 50 people or so, and they sent him out to plant a church in a different area of Barrie, Canada. And when the church was 50 people or so, um, they had their home mother church helping them, but there weren't many other things that wanted to be involved with them when they were 50 people or so. Well, then they started growing over the next couple of years, and they went from 50 to 75 to 100 to 150, and they were, they were right in the middle of something that the Lord was doing in that community that they moved into. I mean, it could have been that their first meetings were at a horse track uh, in, in one of their meeting rooms, and so they got a lot of people coming through and whatever and hearing the gospel message, and, but the Lord was doing something. So the church grew and grew and grew, and at some point it was five, six, seven hundred people, Right? They moved into a facility and all of that. And Jay and I were talking years later, and he said, you know, in those days, he said, I had people coming out of the woodwork to now ask about being a part of what we were doing in our church and, and all of that stuff. And he said, I had organization after organization after organization that would come to me and they would say, Pastor Jay, we, we, we want to partner with you and your church. And he said, after a while, I realized that their definition of partnership and my definition of partnership were two different things. And so the next person that came through the door, he said, I asked, first of all, what is your definition of partnership? And it was like they didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, because it seems like all you want is access to a donor base or to a group of people that can work for whatever it is you're doing, but as far as it going back and forth and being reciprocal and having relationship and building on that and, and all of the things that partnership should be, I don't see that happening. And he said if people couldn't define for him how they would be partners together for the gospel and not just part of a donor base, he said I didn't talk to him anymore. Last week, we, we took a close look at this word fellowship from the word koinonia. And we saw that it centered around the things that we have in common and, and those things that we have in common and how we engage in partnership 
as believers and followers of Jesus. We focused on the church culture as a group, this larger entity, what we often call the corporate body today. And I reminded you that what we see in the core of who we are as Hope Chapel when we come together is very specific. We have some things that we believe that we are to be as a body of believers when we come together in a large group. And then we said we were going to talk about it being a little smaller this week. So when the letters, the, the epistles are written in the New Testament, they are written to individual groups of believers in towns primarily, in cities. And, and they, ex, they were expressions, these groups were expressions of Jesus and his church in those various regions. And as a result, these letters reflect the instructions of primarily the Apostle Paul to these church cultures, these groups of people. I thought it was interesting when uh, Hector uh, went international this morning in, in the songs because it reminded me of when I was in a meeting last year and there was like 20 different language groups in this meeting and we were all singing the same song in a different language. And I thought, wow, it was beautiful. But this, this idea, this, this gathering, every church that, that gathered as a group, there, there wasn't just this large group and it was boom, the church. Everybody came in from a different direction. Everybody came in through a different means. It was individuals that were in these groups, this, these relationships that were going to support whatever it was that group would then do together. What we're going to look at this morning is one of those and look at what it looks like to be in partnership and continue together as individuals. Because I will tell you that partnership in the body of Christ is more than just coming and being a part of a big group, no matter how big the group might be. So the Apostle Paul founded the church at Corinth less than 20 years after Pentecost took place. He wrote to them his first letter a few years later to continue to instruct them as to who they were to be as followers of Jesus and how they were going to represent Jesus, their Savior, in the midst of the pagan culture they were living in. This particular church in Corinth had multiple issues and it was Paul's mission to keep them both on track as they came together as a large group and he addressed some of those things specifically in the area of communion but he also addressed them as individuals as they got together person to person because what Paul knew was that for the church to truly be healthy to truly be effective these believers were going to have to live with the same purpose. They were going to have to live with the same intentionality that Jesus did in his relationships. He lived to love. He lived to unify. He lived to serve. He lived to encourage. And it's clear throughout these writings that these things are in mind. We're going to breeze through chapter one, part of chapter two, and we're going to land at the end of chapter two. So here's the overview. Paul greets them immediately and makes this unifying statement in 1 Corinthians 1. They're, he says, you're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty unifying statement to a group of people. 
He went on to thank God for them and encourage them. He said that in every way, I pray that you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. I, I want you to be built up. I want you to be more in Jesus. He then dives immediately into the problem within the church culture in Corinth at that moment in time, and it was division. He says, there's quarreling among you, my brothers, and this was what was going on. They would be walking down the road together, and they'd be talking, or they'd be going about their work, and one would say, hey, you know, I, I, got, I got born again in, in, in this moment of time, and, and Peter was the one that, that talked to me, and, and another one would say, well, I, I, I got born again because pa Apollos talked to me, and then one would say, right, there was this division. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Going on, he reminds them that their church culture is about Jesus, the wisdom of God. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He reminds them that Jesus is all that matters. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Go down a little in verse 5. He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Jesus is what matters. And he reminds them that God reveals what matters most, not man. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. So we get down to our passage and you can see that he is talking directly into this church culture as to what they had been doing for the last several years, what they needed to be doing in the moment in time and he was focusing all where it needed to be focused. And this is what he says. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but... Note the contrast there. The spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom. But in those taught by the spirit of God. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, that is an intensely rich passage but for our purposes this morning, it's, it's the idea that Paul is bringing this culture from the very beginning of his letter to that moment in time to cause them to see, to recognize who they are supposed to be, how they got there, what's at the foundation of it, what they have in common. Now this statement would precede a teaching on the foundation for living in Jesus and what it means to actually be a servant of Christ. But first he makes it clear to these believers, these, these followers of Jesus, this church culture that exists now in Corinth, that they must clearly see and understand that what they have received by the Spirit of God, that's what matters most. What they've received ultimately becomes the foundation for their fellowship. 
So do you hear the defining in these passages of the church culture? Do you hear the, the defining of the foundation of how they will be when they are together, whether it's in a large group or whether they are together as individuals? Now remember, we define the word fellowship biblically as being participation in that which is in common, the experience of having something in common, sharing things in common, and the word we've used often, partnership. And it really helps to understand why it's so important to hear these words of Paul to this church culture in Corinth and understand that his aim is that these believers, these followers of Jesus, would function in the most healthy and the most effective way possible. That their, their partnership is, is mutually beneficial to all involved specifically for their new life in Jesus. That this Christian fellowship granted by God through Christ, enabled by the Spirit, would display God's glory, God's love, God's character, and would do so through the gospel. What becomes abundantly clear is that these believers and, and the rest of the church cultures that Paul would engage, whether it would be Rome or Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi, they were to be different than what surrounded them. What was clear was that they were not being called to isolation, however, because they had a mission to proclaim the message of the gospel of Christ. But in their relationships, their, their partnership, there was no other place that they would know what they were meant to know than when they were together. There, there, were, there were no other people groups through which the things that they now held in common as followers of Jesus could encourage them or strengthen them or cause them to grow. And this was, this is vital for church culture to understand, not just 2,000 years ago, but today. What also becomes clear as you study more of, of the life of the church and, and who people were being called to be in their relationships with each other, into fellowship with each other, that it first started with fellowship with God. Now when you hear the word fellowship with God, I want you to think, because it's the same word, of that participation in what's in common experiencing together what is in common, sharing the things in common, and partnership. So what is that? Here's, here's what we see. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship, partnership, things in common, right? With his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The fact that the word called is used here reminds us that this is an invitation that has been given by God to even be in this fellowship, to even be in this partnership. It doesn't happen by someone demanding. It doesn't happen by someone banging down the, the gates of heaven to do it. It comes as a privilege, not an obligation. 
2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, we, we gloss over these things sometimes because they're either in the beginning of a book or at the end of the book, so we're reading fast to get to the good part or we're reading fast to finish. But it's also in Philippians chapter 2, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is a little more in the meat of it, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection, compassion, make my joy complete. Paul was, Paul was looking at this from the perspective of, in, in his own life, he could be made more complete by what he saw in the fellowship of the believers in and by the Spirit of God. These, these few passages remind us that, that this is not simply as we come together in this partnership, as we come together in this fellowship, this is not simply a human thing that is going on. This is a spiritual thing that is going on. This is a divine thing that is going on. And there's very much a spirit connection which calls us to a particular reality. Because when we're involved in these relationships and there is the spiritual reality of who we're called to be, then we have to be reminded sometimes of what that means this way. We are the temple of the Spirit of God. We have an eternal inheritance guaranteed through His indwelling us. We access spiritual power through Him the things that we could never do on our own. We're allowed to practice gifts that are spiritual, not simply practice our talents and our abilities. We we can bear spiritual everlasting fruit that is good for us and for all those around us. We, We find help in our weakness when we're at the end of what we know to do or even what to say. We're given access to an inexhaustible spiritual supply. We're given real relationships where we can have genuine grief. We can cause even genuine grief if we are in different. We're given real freedom even to hinder or repress the exertion of his full influence in and on our lives. There's something more than just chit-chat going on. This fellowship goes deep in, in that there is an invitation that is beyond touchy-feely type emotions. It's beyond that emotion-only connection in that we're given opportunity to know as in share in the deepest, most consequential things that Jesus experienced. There is a connection to be had like no other. Philippians 3 is where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Now, we know we can't die as Jesus did for the reason that Jesus did. But there is a connection here. There is an experience that must be in the life of the believer in order to have in common the things of Christ. The relationship that we have, the the fellowship is, is not passive. Action is required to maintain it. Hebrews 13, through him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing 
for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And what we have with and in him produces something in what we can have with each other. 1 John 1, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's something going on here in this culture, this partnership. There is an in common core here, and it is the very basis for the partnership. It has everything to do with who we are, in whom we place our trust, and what we believe in enough to actually live it out. Paul put it this way when writing to his friend Philemon as he was getting ready to ask him to do a really difficult thing. He was going to ask him to go against his own personal needs and desires. He was going to ask him to forgive for wrong that might have been done to him. He was going to ask him to go against the rights that he had in the secular culture. He was going to ask him to go against the established practice that was even in the religious culture and to enter into a partnership with one who had previously been his slave. This is what Paul says. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Paul was forecasting there something that was about to happen. He was saying, your faith, the very thing that you say you believe enough to live out, is going to be called to partner with someone that you would never imagine. Because he is now one of us. It's a powerful example of what Jesus can do to to lead people to true fellowship. And this example is further solidified in the writing of John to to people that were in the Christian community, the, the church culture, and they were very near and dear to him. He wanted to make sure that they understood that if they were in partnership with Jesus, they were in partnership with each other. And and that that partnership was to be powerful. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The clarity here is important. If we're walking in the light, in Jesus, we have, we have partnership with our brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter who they are or where they are. Notice it does not say 
we can have. Like it's an option or a choice. It doesn't say that. It says we have. And, and the health of the partnership, the effectiveness of the partnership, the power of the partnership is measured by how intentional you will be in pursuing that. You have it, but you can leave it sitting on the shelf. You have it, but you can fail to access it. If only there were some kind of guide some wise words, some instruction, some encouragement, a, a template maybe for how we are to be. I, I wonder where we might find such a thing. Ironically, we've already stumbled across it or possibly been led there. In the scripture we've been reading, we ran into this phrase, one another, a few times. Most recently in the passage that we just read in 1 John, that we have fellowship with one another. You would not be surprised that it's in other passages in Scripture. You might even remember Jesus' words in John 13, A new command I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now Jesus, some people get upset with me because I repeat things. And I repeat them often, like the word partnership that I've repeated a bunch in the last two weeks, purposefully, right? Jesus says in like two sentences, he says this three times. So hopefully, I'm kind of following in his, his uh, illustration there. What might surprise you is that the word, the phrase, the, the connection here in the language is actually used about a hundred times in the New Testament in all of its different forms, which makes it pretty significant. Now, what makes, it mo what makes most of them even more significant is that they are very intentional, used to urge many times by way of command or some type of imperative statement, and they're used to encourage many times by sheer repetition like Jesus just did, and, and it, it's meant for the followers of Jesus, the church culture, and it's meant to tell them how they ought to live in the partnership that they have with one another. These statements, as one author put it, are for the purpose of community, and they're designed to build up the community and its relationships. Have you ever noticed how quickly people that have something in common can participate in a cause. We see that in our culture all the time. We see people get in this stream because they have this particular bent and they're, now they're going off on this cause. And then we see another people and they have this bent and they go off on this cause. And then we see another people and they go off on this cause. And the causes and the causes and they just keep going on and on and on, right? The interesting thing is that there are very few of those causes that last. How many times have you seen some religious group or organization boycott something? It just doesn't last. These statements, though, are not new. And, and, and they've been studied, they've been used in texts to many sermons, to studies. 
But the problem is that often they're left right there. They're left in the sermon or they're left in the study. But they do no good. And, and they have no power until they're actually put into action by individuals who understand that they are in partnership. I am in partnership with Angie. We have a partnership. There's a lot of times that, that people take these statements and they do no good until they're intentionally woven into the fabric of the relationships, whether they're individual, like Angie and I, or, or they're Angie and I in our relationship with everybody here and, and all of the partners that exist together. Paul presses this example in Romans when he, when he uses the physical body as his example of how the church should understand what's going on in this. In Romans 12, he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members, what? Of one another. Do you hear what Paul is saying about how close we are to be in this relationship as believers? That it's not simply, though, about proximity, right? We all show up in the same place at the same time because churches have the habit of being fine, right? Hey, how you doing today, Curtis? Fine, right? Now, it's not just because Curtis has few words, because I know Curtis has many words, but, but that's what we do. We walk, we walk up and down, and we, we talk to people, and fine, 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 fine. It's almost like the little birds on, you know, mine, mine, mine. It's not, it's not about the proximity. It's, it's about the interaction. It's about the interconnectedness. It's about the dependence. And it is meant to go deep. So I want us to look at some of these one another statements. But please know, it, it is not my expectation that we are going to simply leave them here in this sermon. Because much like we've been talking about the church culture of Hope Chapel and what we believe the Lord desires that to be, a culture of prayer, you are going to experience that being woven into the DNA of who we are. If you haven't already. A culture of generosity. You are going to see that woven even more into, excel still more, even more into the culture and the DNA, the fabric of who we are. And that's going to be true of this fellowship, this partnership as well. And we're not going to read all the scriptures today. But I am going to separate them into four areas. And you may see five areas. That's okay. You may see eight areas. That's okay. You, you may see that one of the verses that you get up here is going to fit better in another. And that's okay. This is just a designation. The hope is for us to see what we need to be intentional about in our church culture as we interact and intentionally engage each other in relationships. As Hebrews 10 says, considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Making active consideration of how, how would I do that? So, so I have my, my brother, Matt, here, and I'm in partnership with him. Am I even thinking of how I can stimulate Matt 
to love as Jesus does, to good deeds. Is it even in my consideration? Well, according to what we're reading here and what we're understanding about partnership and all of those things, the one and others fit right into the answer, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you scriptures in this to look at uh, when you have more time. So if you've got your phone or you take a snapshot, whatever, uh, that's fine. If not, uh, you can ask me for them later and I'll give them to you. Or you can search them out yourself. They're easy to find. The first thing we're called to do is actively love. Actively love, however, not as defined by the world, not as even defined by me, but defined by Jesus himself. And his love is perfect. You see the passages that are up there and you can read them over and over. They say, love one another. It's summed up best probably by Jesus when he says in John 13, love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The second thing we're called to do is actively unify We actively unify in the things that we have in common in Jesus. Some of the passages that are up here talk about peace and devotion and harmony and not judging and accepting and and considering and not biting and devouring and not provoking and forgiving and honesty and, and not slandering and not grumbling and confessing sin and walking in harmony. Each of these passages has a lesson to teach on its own as we pursue this path of partnership. So I would encourage you to go back to each one of them. Read the verses before it. Read the verses after it and ask the question of yourself, what is this calling me to as a partner with Leroy? As a partner with Wanda, what is this calling me to? The third, we're called to actively serve Fulfilling the example of Jesus, humility, concern, uh, carrying burdens, bearing with, submitting to, considering, being humble before. These are all part of the passages that you are going to look at as you look at this one another as it's being defined by not me, not by the church at large, but by the scripture and the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Each one of these passages, again, a lesson regarding the depths that can be known through selflessness. Fourth, we are called to actively encourage. Hey, no, you've been having a bad day. Uh, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. You'll be fine, right? We're called to encourage. Hey, your house looks great. We're called to encourage. Oh, man, I really like that outfit. You look very nice today. That's not this. It might be an encouragement, but it's not this. This is encourage actively in faith, in life in Jesus, showing honor to one another, instructing even one another, greeting with affection. Um, That holy kiss thing, You know, it could have been cultural or whatever, but if you've ever been in an environment where people practice that as part of their culture, when you are holily, I don't even know if that's a word, kissed by someone, when when there's nothing about it that has any 
carnal nature to it at all. It's just that place of physical connection and, and oneness in that moment of time. When you are hugged by somebody like that, when, when you have a handshake that is, is meant to be something, you know it. Actively encouraging, speaking kindness and compassion, speaking life, admonishing, encouraging and praying and hospitality and all of those things. Those are all parts of this that you can actively engage and understand. This is how I'm to be in partnership. So, I'm your partner. What does it look like for me every time I am with you to follow the mandate of Hebrews and, and at least consider, right, how to actively love you. What does that look like? I mean, I know what it looks like when you're dating, right? When you're, when you're wanting a relationship to go farther and you're wanting more from the relationship and you desire that. I know what that looks like. Because, man, I got to tell you, my wife will tell you, I was actively, actively loving her. I'm not saying it was always in a godly way because it was definitely because I was getting something out of it too, right, in that relationship. But what does it look like if I'm your partner and I am in fellowship with you? What does it look like for me to be aware that in that moment of time, in that time when I'm together with you individually, a across from a hamburger or a chicken sandwich or a cup of coffee or just sitting at an event, what does it look like for me to actively love you? I mean, we know love in the perfection of Jesus means to actively protect and provide, Right? What would it look like if all the partners in this place came each week actively looking to demonstrate love in that way? What's it look like for me every time I'm with you to actively unify with you and unify us with others? What, what does that look like? It, it means looking for and engaging an opportunity to promote or, or link together in, in the things we have in common in Jesus. It means that we have to resolve conflict. It means that we have to give no place to division. What does it look like to be partners together? What does it look like for the one another's to drive us deep to where Jesus desires us to be. What does it look like for me every time I'm with you to actively serve you? Now, I struggle with this one a little bit because the first scripture that comes up is, is washing feet, right? I want to leave that one with the culture that it was in. Uh, I mean, if you come to my house, I'll, I'll spray them off with a hose. That, that's fine. But, but seriously, when you begin to think of it in that way, 
you begin to think of what does it look like for me to actually look for and engage in opportunities to serve you, to put you in a place where your needs, your desires uh, are, are above mine in following the example of Jesus. What does it look like for me every time I'm with you to actively encourage you engaging in opportunities to build you up man you look good today brother that has nothing to do with it this is about faith this is about life in Jesus am I telling you that you can never compliment somebody again because their hair is great on that day no do that too but that is not what the scripture is teaching us when it's talking about excelling still more. So here's the question for us as we're walking through this evaluation that we've been in regarding our culture, our DNA, who we are as a church. Do the four things that I just mentioned, does that sound like what we're doing when we're together? Now you can only answer that for yourself, right? You can also answer it by observation. But does it sound like what we're doing when we're together? Or, or have we settled possibly for less? Remember the church in Ephesus didn't lose everything that they had as a church. In fact, they were commended on multiple things 30 or so years later. But there were some areas that they had settled for less. Could it be that church, not just our church, but church culture in general has settled for less and it's settled for church simply being a social interaction instead of active loving, active serving, right? Active encouraging. Could it be? I'm just asking the question so that we can ask it of ourselves. What does God want? in the time that we're together with individuals. When we have lunch together or when we ride somewhere or we go shopping or we go over to someone's house or we have a fire pit or we attend a birthday party, what, what does he want from us in those moments of time as it relates to our fellowship as believers? What could it look like if we were continually devoting ourselves to considering how to stimulate one another in love and good deeds. Is it possible that we could be even more healthy and more effective than we are right now? Those are just some of the questions that were running through my mind. You may have others, and that's fine. But it's worth the evaluation because what we don't want if the Lord tarries is for 30 years from now, Hope Chapel to be this, this church that somebody talks about and said, yeah, they did this good and this good and this good, but they lost it in this and this and this in their church culture because they never evaluated anything. For us to excel still more, it means taking on these things and, and making them priority. So this week, this is what I would like to ask you to do. One of four things. Multiple choice. In your interaction with someone in this body of believers or, or another person you know to be a follower of Jesus, okay? 
someone in this body or another person that you know to be a follower of Jesus, would you just sow in to the fabric of your life this week actively loving someone? Would you sow into the fabric of your life this week actively unifying with them or them with someone else? Would you sow in actively serving or actively encouraging? And if you need a little help as to what those actively are, you can go right back to the scriptures and read them and it gives clear definition as to what the authors are talking about when they're talking about these things for one another. Bring what it means to fellowship, to bear on a single relationship this week. That's all I'm asking you to do. Bring what it means to to fellowship and, and be partners together at the level it was intended to be within the Lord's church and see where it takes you this week. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. And I want to read you something as we end because it was kind of humorous to me in a sad way. Um, But this guy actually took the one another's and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at the things that aren't in there. And as I read through this list, and I actually compiled some and added it to the end of his list, I actually found that many churches that I've either been a part of or been privy to know and see and interact with had more in these columns than they did in the other. This is what he said. These are the things I don't find in the one another's that we are called to do. You ready? We are not called to sanctify one another the work of the Spirit of God. We're not called to humble one another. We're not called to scrutinize one another. We're not called to pressure one another. We're not called to embarrass one another. We're not called to corner one another. We're not called to interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, shame one another, marginalize one another, exclude one another, judge one another, run one another's lives, confess one another's sins, Gossip about one another, compare one another, find faults in one another, be defensive with one another, neglect one another, minimize, minimize one another, or avoid one another. When I read that, I thought, how many times have I seen that being called the fellowship of the church? That's not the depths that we're supposed to, to explore. That is not the partnership that we are supposed to have. Christ has called for his church to be something outstanding and also standing out in the culture. So would you do that this week? Take take just one person that you know as a believer that you are in fellowship with, partnership with, because of what's in you. You have fellowship with them. And would you take one of the four things and just actively pursue that in your partnership together with them and see where it leads. Now, if you want to do two or three or four, I'm not going to be upset with you. You can do as many as you want, but just try one. Consider how you might stimulate what the one another's call us to be. Let's stand together as we close out our time.